Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. Well, if we haven't figured out what in the world's going on by the final week of the series, we may never know. (laughs) Well, we are finishing up a series this week called What in the World is Going On? We're going to start a new series next week. We're pumped about it. It might be the best one yet. Um, It's called My Functional Family. (laughs) You've heard of dysfunctional families, right? Um, we're we're going to take a look at what, what makes your family functional. So that's, that's our next series, getting uh, ready to, to start. So we've been calling this the big three. The big three. Three big questions. I don't know why I did that. I mean, the big three. Let's all say that together. Ready? One, two, three. The big three. Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. You ready? I'm ready. You ready for question number one? Okay. All right, let's one. do this. What do you think, or why do you think it is so important to be teaching um, about this series, like right now, when when the season we're in, right now? What if I bounce that question back to you and ask you, (laughs) why do you think it's so important to do this? Okay, I think it's so important because, one, we need to know the truth, and two, we need the encouragement to stand firm in the truth. Mm, That's what I would have said. (laughs) (laughs) How how many have gotten something good out of the series? Amen. It's been a really good series. So good. Um, well, my answer would have been really close to that. Oh, good. But I would have a- a- added this to it. Of that, course um, you would. <laughs> it's, it's just a season and an hour uh, of a lot of deception and a lot of confusion. And I, I just think that there needs to be clarity in the church and from the church right now. We need to know what in the world's going on. And so that's why we took on this series. And um, we don't respond to just stuff that goes in the wor- on in the world all the time just to do a, right. a, a sermon. But we felt like we really needed to have an answer right now. That's right. So. And I know I can speak for myself, and I'm hoping I can speak for the rest of us. We're very grateful that we have a pastor that's willing to speak the truth to us um, and stand on the word and not be concerned about opinions and thoughts of the culture, but to be uh, more concerned about what the word says and standing in truth. Amen. So, all right, next question. Are you ready for number two? Yeah. All right, if you choose to get the COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. okay, did you take the mark of the beast? That's an awesome question because there are some people who say yes to that. Um, I think we can answer that the question um, in a comforting way, but also in a, in a challenging way. And here's what I mean by that. Um, if, if you chose to get the COVID vaccine, um, you did not take the mark of the beast, uh, we have said that, you know, that is your, your individual choice, right. um, whether you take that or not. Um, but there, there is something I will say toward that. Here's the challenging part, that uh, I believe what is happening with things like the vaccine is what we would call an image in the earth. And so there are things that happen on the earth that will be an image of what's to come. And so if you took the vaccine, you didn't take the mark of the beast, but it is in some way the same manner that the mark of the beast will occur. Uh, you know, you, uh, you will have to take the mark of the beast to be able to shop, buy, sell, all those sort of things. So it is the process of that same sort of thing happening. And I think the things that we need to be really aware of as believers, if we just quickly and easily uh, jump on board with those things, 
how quickly and easily could we maybe jump on board to just take that for our safety and our jobs? So that is not the mark of the beast, but is, it will be the same type of thing that unfolds. Here's what the devil's trying to do right now, and, and this might be one of the best things I say all, all day. He's trying to put the end times on his timetable. So he's speeding things up in the earth. Right, right. God will deal with that. It's going to be on God's time. It'll be That's on right. God's calendar. That's right. But he is, he, is, he is trying to put things, speed up things on his timetable. If, does that make sense? And so we have to be aware of Christians that we, that we don't buy into his timetable, that we know that um, God has the end time. The, yeah, the end times are God's times. And, and so um, there's an image on the earth of things to come, but the devil is trying to put it on his timetable. God will not allow that. God will have it on his timetable. Amen. I hope I answered that question. That right. was good. That was a good answer. But I'm going to throw something in on you like you did with me. Okay? Okay. You ready for this? Absolutely. <laughs> I love that look. <laughs> anyway, um, we've talked about this before, but what would you answer for, I know you said it's an our individual thing, but if someone did get the vaccine, how, how would you encur like encourage them or how would you minister to them now that they realize maybe... They mm -hmm. should or shouldn't have. Yeah, and I and think it's I, an individual choice. It is, yeah. I, I, and no one should ever feel condemned. Mm -hmm. But how, how would you speak to well, that? The best thing I heard on the lines of that is because I, I said this last week, and I said that I hate to say this, but it's the absolute truth. We are in a season where we cannot completely believe our political leaders. We cannot trust um, those making decisions in our government. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, because of that, uh, if you if you did take the vaccine, there like I said, that is your individual choice. Um, I, I would make sure that I would would continue to pray Psalm 91. You would continue to pray healing over your body. Amen. You would continue to stand against maybe any side effects that they're not real sure of yet uh, about that. And I think that's how I would that's encourage good. you. Um, pray pray biblical health. That's right. Pray Psalm 91. Right. Pray healing scriptures over yourself. Uh, you know, some people will get a vaccine and have no problem. Some people yeah. have died from it. There's a lot of, you know, just uh, research that is un unsure right now. And so if you did, just, just continue to trust God for healing Amen. in your body. Yes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just like you would trust him otherwise. Yeah. I just want you know, sure. to Great question. encourage. And this is the final question of this series. Okay. Are you ready for this? Absolutely. All right. What is the next thing? to occur prophetically regarding the end times? What's the next thing to happen prophetically regarding the end times? I'm not the kind of guy who can bring out all the charts, the revelation charts, but I am the kind of guy that can preach you faith about the, the end times yeah. and the hour that we're in. And so the next few moments, uh, I'm going to tell you what the next event is to happen on the prophetic timetable. So I'm going to preach you up real good this morning, and I promise I won't botch the snap. Pray for your pastor this morning. Sorry. Let me read you a scripture. Matthew chapter 25, a few verses. <laughs> I'm not, well, anyways. When my coming draws near... Heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to ten maidens who took their oil lamps and they went outside to meet the bridegroom and his bride. Five of them were foolish and ill-prepared. They took no extra oil for their lamps. 
but five of them were wise because they took flasks of oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom didn't come when they expected, they grew drowsy and they fell asleep. Then suddenly, in the middle of the night, they were awakened by the shout, Get up! The bridegroom is here. Come and have an encounter with him. So all those girls got up. They trimmed their lamps, but the foolish ones were running out of oil. So they said to the wise ones, Share your oil with us because our lamps are going out. We can't, they replied. We don't have enough oil for all of us. You'll have to go and buy some for yourselves. While those girls were out buying the oil, the bridegroom appeared. Those who were ready, everyone say ready, ready. and waiting were escorted inside with him and the wedding party to enjoy the feast. And then the door was locked. Later, those five foolish girls came running to the door and pleaded, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he called back, go away. Do I know you? I can assure you I don't even know you. That is the reason you should always stay awake and be alert because you don't know the day or the hour when the bridegroom will appear. And this is a passage of scripture talking about uh, the bridegroom, which is Jesus, coming for his bride, which is us, the church. And the Bible says we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the season. And we're in that season. And so I've said this to you every week of this series. I want you to remember these three things about the end times. The end times are bigger than America. We get really fixated on just what's going on in America, but it's, it's bigger than that. Um, the end times are God's times. I just mentioned that. And the end times are not a mystery. They're not a mystery. So we've been revealing to you in week one, we talked about the planet's plight. We looked at things that are happening on the planet right now, things like fear, division, um, racial issues, political parties subjecting other political parties. That's all signs of the end times. Then last week, we, we did a message called The Church's Challenge. And we looked at how the church will go through certain uh, types of persecution. The church uh, will have to figure out the phonies in the last days. The church uh, will have to stand in truth. And the church will have to keep preaching the gospel. And so I encourage you, if you weren't able to be at those, make sure you watch those. And thank you for those questions. And I, I want to share this message with you this morning. And here is my title, The World's Wages. The world's wages. You know, for every laborer, there's wages that are paid. And so for the next few moments, I want to tell you what's happening prophetically on the timeline. And I want to tell you what the wages are for the world. Y'all ready to go? Okay, here we go. I want to arm you with good information. And I'm going to go um, like a machine gun today because there's a lot of things I want to say. Y'all ready? I'm not convinced yet. Are y'all ready? All right. This, this, the message today will leave us with two feelings. If you are born again, full of the life of Jesus, you'll be excited. If you're unsure about your walk with Jesus, or if you're thinking about those in the world, it, it, it could be a, a challenging message today. So the world's wages. Here's the first life point. Number one is that the first wage of the world uh, is that the world will miss the rapture. The world will miss the rapture. The word rapture is actually not in the Bible. The word rapture is a Greek word which means to be seized or taken up quickly or seized or snatched up violently. It's, it's print, a principle in the Bible, but it, that's a word that we have given it in, in our language. John chapter 14 says this, and this is a good word for you. Do not worry. Look at someone say he's talking to you. Do not worry or surrender to your fear. 
That means um, don't lose your heart. That means uh, don't let your heart get distressed. It actually means don't let your heart flutter. So the Bible says don't worry. Don't give in to your fear. For you believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My Father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly. I go to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back and I will take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And so this verbiage here is used to express the concept of a bridegroom coming to take his bride. And it's been a few years, I think, since I've taught this, but I want to use an illustration to you that will help you with this understanding of the bridegroom and the bride. So we understand that the Bible um, is written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek, but the first four chapters of the New Testament are, uh, are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are written to Jewish people. And uh, th th there's a concept that we're maybe a little different to us, but I want to explain to you how a traditional biblical Jewish wedding, how, what it would look like. And so here's how a traditional Jewish wedding uh, would go or how it would transpire. There would be a young man, and when he goes to be engaged to a young lady, whether it is a love interest or his parents have arranged this marriage. And so uh, sometimes it would be an arranged marriage, which I think is not really that bad of an idea. Um, how many dads would agree with me? You like to would arrange that, right? Um, my girl said amen. No comment. Okay. So uh, let's say the father sends his son. He's going to send the son to the family of the young lady he's going to be engaged to and be married. So the son comes to the house of this young lady. He goes to the father of this young lady, and he pays a purchase price. So there is a price he pays for this young lady. He's going to bring gold, silver, a few goats, a few donkeys, whatever it costs to pay a purchase price for what would be his future bride. The father then would accept the purchase price. They would have a ceremonial drinking of a glass of wine, and that would, that would be from that moment on, they would not take that drink together until the feast. Now... He's going to go back after paying that purchase price, return to his family, and he's going to spend at least the next year or a little bit longer preparing a dwelling place at his father's house for when the time is ready, he'll go and get his bride and they'll live in that dwelling place at his father's house. So while he is away for at least a year, he's preparing this future home at his father's house. In the meantime, this young lady is preparing herself. She's collecting her oils. She's preparing herself for the next phase when he comes to get her. After at least a year goes by, maybe a little bit longer, the father is going to inspect the dwelling place. And when the father looks and realizes that the dwelling place is ready, he's going to tell his son, go and get your bride. Now, the bride doesn't know exactly when he's coming. She doesn't know the day, she doesn't know the hour, but she knows the season that he will return. And so she's expecting him. And when time gets closer, she's, she's ready, she's, she's alert, she's, she's looking forward to him coming, but she doesn't know exactly when. But all of a sudden, the father says, it's time to go get your bride. He goes back to get his bride, and when he goes to get his bride, he comes shouting. He comes celebrating for her. When he comes to the house, he finds his bride. Now he's going to take her back to his father's house. When he takes uh, her, her back to his father's house, there is a ceremony. 
Uh, they, they, they consummate the, the, the marriage uh, at, the cer- at the wedding ceremony. And then for the next seven days, they party and they celebrate with family and they celebrate with friends. You say, what's the importance of that story? That's exactly how it will unfold for the rapture of the church. Right now, Jesus is preparing a place for you. He has already came and he has paid the purchase price with his body on the cross. He has paid that purchase price. Right now, the Bible said he is preparing a dwelling place for the church. And as he's preparing a dwelling place for the church, the church is the bride. And we're waiting, and we're preparing, and we're looking, and we're alert. And at one moment, we may not know the moment or the hour or the day, but we're awaiting. We know we're in the season. We're on the edge, and we're waiting. We're just waiting for a shout. We're just waiting for uh, that moment when he comes shouting. And God says, son, go get your bride. Son, go get my church. And he will come with a shout. And the Bible says he will come and he will get us. And for the next seven years, I'll come back to this in a moment, we're going to be partying and feasting and celebrating with Jesus. How many know that's exciting? See, from the very beginning of the Bible, God created Adam and Eve and a family because he wanted a family. And he's coming back for his family. Amen. So that is how a traditional Jewish wedding would transpire and it's a sign and it's a symbol and it's an example how Jesus will come to get his bride which is you and it's I the church but the world's wage is that they will miss that rapture it will miss the rapture and as I mentioned I'll come back and talk about that just a little bit more in a moment let's read first Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 51 it says listen And I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. For when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible, and we will be transformed. Now, if you were to say this in the original language, it would start off with something like this. Listen, behold, I'm about to tell you something that will wow you. Listen, behold, I'm about to tell you something that is shocking. It means I will reveal a secret to you audibly. So as Paul is writing this, he is saying I'm about to tell you something that is about to wow you. And he says in just a moment, that means in an atom in a blink of an eye or a split second or the twitch of an eye, there'll be a trumpet sound. There'll be a trumpet sound. The Bible says we'll meet him in the air. And what that means is that that's a a, a way of saying there will be a royal welcoming. Uh, a, A king will be welcoming his royal party. There'll be a royal reception that will take place. And we will partake at that moment of the rapture in the judgment seat of Christ, and we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and I'll just go ahead and, 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 and say this to you. When we are raptured, for the next seven years while the world is in tribulation, we'll be having the marriage supper of the Lamb. So at the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and transformed. We will be raised up, and we will be at the, at the, uh, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what that means for you and I. God will evaluate our life and give us rewards. You say, well, I thought we would be judged. Well, we were already judged on the cross. 
Jesus took our sin. He took our judgment on him. And so at that moment, the works we did for Jesus that were of pure motivation, they will last. The ones that didn't will burn up. But it would be like going to an athletic banquet and God's going to hand out rewards for how you lived your life. He's going to hand out rewards for your faith. He's going to hand out rewards for the stand that you took for him. That's what we will be doing at that time. But the world's wages is not only that, number one, they will miss the rapture, but number two, they will regret the second coming of Jesus. They will regret the second coming of Jesus. And I'd like to also explain this to you in a fashion that we just use the marriage. Only this time I want to talk about the feasts or the festivals that are important to the people in Israel. In the book of Leviticus, it says that we're to remember the days, the appointed days or the appointed festivals of Israel. This is God talking. And he said, I want you to appoint certain festivals and certain feasts to remember the things that happened with the children of Israel. Now, the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, it calls them to remember, it calls it, says it this way, remember the convocations. The word convocations means this, uh, dress rehearsals. So there are all these festivals that the Jewish people have throughout a year, and they all commemorate important things that happened and important things that are up and important things that are about to happen. Now, the convocations means that Israel would act out these festivals and they would act out what the Bible calls these convocations and they all reveal God's plan or God's redemptive plan or God's redemption to us. And so there are a total of seven festivals. These seven festivals we can also call feasts. There are four in the spring and there are three in the fall and they are broken up into three categories. The festivals of peace, the festivals of power, and the festivals of rest. So I'm going to go through these real quickly and I want you to just pay attention and watch how these, how these portray to us the timelines that we are on. The first is called the Feast of Passover. And if you all remember from the book of uh, Exodus, God led his people out of Israel and he told them to put the blood over the doorways and I will pass over your house. So the, 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 the people, the, uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Passover or the Festival of Passover to commemorate God rescuing and keeping them during the exodus of the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Well, what does that mean to us here in today? It means to us, it represents the fact that Jesus was the lamb, the Bible said, and he shed his blood and he died and he went into the grave for you. And so although it is a literal festival, it also represents the fact, aren't you glad that Jesus shed his blood and Jesus died for you? The next festival is the festival on unleavened bread, which is a symbol to the Jewish people where they don't eat the leaven and bread, uh, and it's a symbol of them putting off the bondage from Egypt. So they left Egypt, they had their exodus, and they were putting off their bondage. To us, the festival of unleavened bread represents the fact that Jesus was buried and removed our sin. He died, and he was buried in that grave, and your sin was nailed to the cross, and it was buried in that grave with him. The third festival, which happens in the spring, is the feast or the festival of first fruits. And so Israel would acknowledge God's provision. They would acknowledge God's harvest throughout the year. And here's what that represents to us, the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible said it's the first fruit of the man who came out of the grave. That's Jesus. So we see these three festivals that represent the fact that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, and that Jesus resurrected. Those represent the festivals from the feast from their exodus, but it's also festivals representing to us the work of Jesus. The last one that happens in the spring is what they call the feast 
of Pentecost, or the festival of Pentecost, which was a time for them where they celebrate Jubilee, they celebrate getting their lands back, they celebrate debts being canceled. For us, we understand that, uh, that the Holy Spirit came on what? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, and he filled the early believers with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It happened on what? The festival of Pentecost. So are you tracking with me through church history here? We have the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the empowering of, by Jesus of the Holy Spirit. Those all are festivals celebrated in spring. Now let's move to the fall and let's look at those next few verses. And there's a reason why I'm telling these to you this morning. The next represents the, the feast of peace, a rest. The first is the feast of trumpets. Now this is a, a, a festival which, which just happened. And the, the festival of trumpets actually represent the creation of Adam and Eve, the first family, and it cites the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So they believe that when Adam and Eve was created, that was the beginning of the calendar. And so they represent their new year. Uh, you may see on some of your calendars, Rosh Hashanah. That, that's on some of your calendars that you see. That's the Jewish New Year, which we just celebrated. You say, what does that mean to us? So if we have these festivals that go, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the next festival represents to you and I the rapture of the church. Are you tracking with me? Now, there were a lot of people that were thinking that we were going to see the rapture of the church just a few weeks ago at Rosh Hashanah. Well, obviously, that, that didn't happen. A lot of faith theologians believe this, that Jesus will return on the Jewish calendar at the time of Rosh Hashanah, and it will be in September. I think they're right. It doesn't say what year, but I do believe that Jesus will return during this festival, during this feast, and I believe it's in the next few years. Um, Jesus said, we don't know the hour, we don't know the day, but we do know the seasons, and we are in that season. That's not to say that Jesus can't come back anytime else he wants to, but I do believe according to the festivals, it lines up that Jesus will return some September. Now, what's the date today? The 26th? You say, could it be this September? It could be. It could be in the next few days. I do believe it's in the next few years. I do believe it will happen in the month of September, and it will happen according to the Jewish calendars. Everything else has. The, the next festival would be the Festival of Atonement. This was a time for Jewish people of a very, very, very serious time of repentance. This represents the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus, and I'll explain that in a moment. Y'all still trekking with me? That the second coming of Jesus is different than the rapture of the church. So when people say that Jesus is coming back, there is an event that will happen first, and guess what? It is the rapture of the church. Those are two different things. I'll explain that in just a moment. And then the last is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles in the fall was when Jewish people uh, live in booths to represent that Jesus took, or God took care of them in the desert and gave them dwelling places. So live, they live in these booths during the time of this festival, and this represents the fact that we'll live, we will live in God's house for eternity. So the world, what is the wages of the world? They, they will miss the rapture. It's only for the church. And they will regret the second coming of Jesus. 
Now, those festivals, the reason why I took a few moments to go through those for you, just to let you know that everything has happened according to the timeline of those festivals. They did represent God bringing them out of Egypt and God making them a nation, God making them a people. But what does it mean for the church today? It means the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus filling us with the Holy Spirit, Jesus rapturing the church, Jesus coming back, and us living with Jesus for eternity. That's a biblical timeline for you. That's a biblical timeline as a symbol, as a sign, and as a representation. Isn't that cool? I hope by those first two points and those first two examples and those first two illustrations, and we could have went really into depth, but by going through those, it lets you see that the writer of the Bible not only wrote about the creation, wrote about the exodus, wrote about the beginning of the church, but he also wrote accurately about the wrap-up of culture or the wrap-up or the wrap-up of the age. And people will say it's the end of the world. And we've said this, the world will actually never end. We are just transitioning from one age into the next. And when that happens, the Bible says there's going to be great um, turbulence because of change. How many know change always brings turbulence, always brings tension, always brings change? That's what we're living in now. We're living in the very end of that transition from one age to the next. So we have been in the age of grace in the church age from the time that Jesus resurrected from the time that Jesus ascended. That age of grace and that age of the church age is about to transition into what the Bible calls the day of the Lord or the age of tribulation. It's about to change. It's about to transition. So grace will end when the church disappears. The church age will transition into a, a different, different season. So what is the wages for those who are unbelievers or those of the world? Well, the first wage is they will miss out on the rapture. It will happen in an atom, in a split second. They will try to explain what happened when the church is lifted off the planet. And I want you to know this. The only thing that is restraining the very wrath of God on this planet is the fact that the church, you and I, are here. We are the only thing holding back the wrath of God. We are the goodness of God represented on the earth. The second wage of the, of the world is that they will regret the second coming of Jesus. And lastly, the world will be eternally condemned. The Bible said there are, the, the, there are wages to sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death and destruction. And so the last wage that the world will have, that they will be eternally condemned. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, Beloved, so he's talking to us, brothers and sisters, we want you to be quite certain about the truth concerning all of those who've passed away so that you won't be overwhelmed with grief like many others who have no hope. How many of you are glad that you have hope? So the Bible says, I want you to be certain. Those of you who know me, you have hope, the Bible says. For if we believe that Jesus died and if we believe that Jesus rose again, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who died while believing in him. This is the word of the Lord. We who are alive, everyone say alive. I'm going to come back to that. We who are alive and we who, who remain until the Lord appears will by no means have an advantage over those who've already died, for both will rise together. The Lord himself will appear with a declaration of victory, the shout of an archangel and the trumpet blast of God. Uh, when, when the Bible talks about him blasting a trumpet, it's a military phrase, which means he will blast a trumpet and you are to get out of your tents and fall into line and be ready to march. So it's a, it's a command. 
There'll be a trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ, they shall rise first. Those of us who are alive will then join them. We'll be transported together in the clouds. We will have an encounter with the Lord in the air, and we will forever be joined with the Lord. So encourage each other with these truths. This is encouraging. So the Bible says this, Jesus as the, as the groom will announce his coming for his bride with a, with a shout, with a trumpet blast. It, it's the sign of a royal announcement that God is calling as a king, calling us up, and he is putting things into order. It means to have a royal welcome. Now, I want you to focus in on that phrase. It says that there are those who've already died in Christ. Then there are those of us who are still alive and we will remain at, at this moment of the rapture. Now that phrase, those who remain or those who are alive, is an interesting phrase. Because it means this, and I want everybody to hear this, and I want you to get this. It means those who are spiritually vibrant. Those who are spiritually vibrant. Now I think we've had a miss or a, dis, a delusion think that if we just believe in God we get raptured the Bible doesn't say that the Bible said those who are still remaining and they are spiritually vibrant and they are spiritually alive those are the ones who God will call up there's a lot of people who just believe in God but they're not spiritually vibrant the devil believes in God what this literally means and last week I said remember that word remnant remember when I said that a remnant means there's a substance left over this literally means that there's going to be a remnant church, a remnant of people who are spiritually alive and spiritually vibrant. They're called the remnant. Those who have made it through the challenges, those who've kept their faith through the challenges, those who've, those who've kept themselves spiritually alive through any persecutions, any trials, any challenges, those who've kept the faith, the Bible said that is the church of Jesus that will be resurrected at the rapture. We have to understand the verbiage. We have to understand the language here. There could be people who say, yeah, well, I believe in God. That doesn't mean that's who Jesus will rapture. I mean, those of us who are spiritually vibrant, that's why it's so important that we're ready, that we're watching, that our spirits are alive, that we're on fire, that we're a remnant church, that we're a remnant people. And, you know, there's a lot of argument over... Is he coming back before the tribulation, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Me and my wife were talking about this. I said, the answer to that question is very, very simple. The Bible says very clearly, let it be unto you according to your faith. If you got faith to go before the tribulation, guess what? Go. If you got faith to go in the middle of it, you can hang around if you want to. If you got faith to wait till it's all done, you can hang around. I know where my faith is at. My faith is in Jesus coming for a spiritually vibrant, spiritually awake remnant of people. Someone say, that'll preach. So Jesus is going to, in a split second, let me give you Pastor Aaron's official end times wrap it up headlines y'all ready for this what have we said over these few weeks there are signs and symbols happening on the planet right now and all of them are unfolding before our eyes we looked last week at how the church will go through challenges 
but the church will stand strong and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now we're saying for the world, there's wages. But for the church, there's a great reward. Jesus is about to snatch up the church. He's about to come for the church. He's about to come. Remember that wedding illustration? He's about, the father's about to say, go and get your brides. And he'll, with a, with a blast and a trumpet, he will call us upward. It, this is what it literally means. We will rise as kings to take rule and to take reign with him. The moment the church disappears, the Bible says, now the day of the Lord will happen on the earth. The day of the Lord. For the next seven years, those are called the years of tribulation. In the middle of that time, at the beginning of that time, the Antichrist will come on the scene. In the middle of that tribulation, the Antichrist will break a truance. He will break an alliance with Israel during that time. Now here's something you need to remember about that time. It's called the great tribulation during that time people can still be saved people are still saved during that tribulation time now during that tribulation time if you are saved the only way you can get to heaven is be a martyr because you will have to take the mark of the beast the shop eat work all those things that's why I said earlier it's just an image of things to come but there will be people during that time they're actually saved so we're not here for that. What are we doing during what are we doing during that time as a church that gets raptured? Well, when we get to heaven, we got brand new bodies. Anyone looking forward to that? Anybody have some stuff that's squeaking and you know so just this brand new bodies? We are at the judgment seat of Christ. We're given rewards, and for the next seven years, we are partaking of the marriage supper of the Lamb. For seven years, we're gonna party. For seven years, we're going to feast. Just like that Jewish wedding for seven days. For seven years, that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. We're going to get to see the dwelling place Jesus made for us. But think about that. Seven years, we're going to get to eat, and we don't get fat. Nothing goes to our hips or our stomachs. We're just going to eat. We're going to celebrate. We're in the presence of God. We're in the presence of Jesus. On this earth, there's tribulation. All hell is breaking loose. The Antichrist is in rule. He's in reign. But then the Bible says the next event that will happen will be what is called the second coming of Jesus. Here's the coolest thing. The Bible said that then Jesus will come back to this earth. And guess what? We're with him. We're the armies of heaven. That's what the Bible says. As we come back with Jesus, and during that time, There'll be a thousand years where the devil's bound. The Bible says we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus on this earth. What's that mean? All of those still on the planet, we're ruling over them. We're reigning over all those who are still on the planet. Jesus gives us rule. He gives us reign. He gives us assignment. He gives us structure. We're ruling and reigning with Jesus. Isn't that cool? If we say go here, do that, they have to go here, they have to do that. How many of you wish it was like that now? I like to walk into the government and be like, y'all need to do this right now, get this done. I like to just walk in and say, does anybody have any sense right now? Honestly, the church is the only one with sense right now. Why? Because we have truth. That's why. We have truth. We have the truth of Jesus. We have the truth of the Word of God. That's why. You ever just shake your head? Let me tell you this. You know when you shake your head? You just shake your head at stuff. Here's why. You know, you know there's a move of the devil when it makes you shake your head. It's just because it just, that's the devil. That's just crazy. 
When we're going to rule, we're going to reign. Then the Bible said there will be a time when Jesus, or when God, lets the devil roam again for a season. But he will wrap all that up in this great battle. So the devil's been bound. We're ruling and reigning. The devil gets loose for a season. And he creates this great rebellion like he did before against God. And it all culminates at the battle of Armageddon. Us with Jesus against the enemy with his forces. And obviously you know the end of the story. God wins. God wins. And in that ending, the world then goes before what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And they will be judged. They will be judged. Here's what they'll be judged for. See, they've rejected God. They never had their sins redeemed or forgiven. And for eternity, they will be damned to hell. And see, people say, well, God's not a fair God. Why would a loving God ever condemn anyone to hell? He never condemns. He sent his son to rescue us. Hell was never made for people. Hell was only made for the devil and his cohorts. So it's our decision it's our literal decision that determines whether we go to heaven or hell. It's our literal decision whether we believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord. It's our literal decision to respond to the grace and the goodness of God that determines our eternal destiny. So our reward as believers is that we will be raptured. Our reward as believers is that we get to return with Jesus at the second coming. Our reward as believers is that we will for eternity be with Jesus in the presence of God. For eternity. But the wages of the world is this, they'll miss the rapture. They will miss out on the rapture because they're not part of, they're not spiritually alive, they're not spiritually vibrant, they're not part of the church. And they will regret that second coming. And I know what you're thinking, how could anybody reject Christ? How would, but you know the pride of man, the pride in a person's heart can put them in opposition to God. But they will be eternally condemned. That's the wages of the world. That's the rewards of a believer. So the hour, the moment, the day that we are in right now, that's why I say to you over and over, what do we do right now? Don't, don't get consumed doing this, and it's easy to do. We need to be obsessed with doing this. Just like that Jewish wedding. We are in a moment of preparation, and it's been long enough that the groom has gone to his father's house, and he's preparing. Think about how great that dwelling place is, that, that, that Jesus has been spending all this time preparing you a place. And the Bible says the only reason why the groom has not come for the bridegroom or for the bride yet is because of the patience and the enduring love of the Father who wants no man to perish. The only reason holding Jesus back right now from snatching up the church is God knowing that there's still some people who are going to respond and give their hearts to him. And he's just waiting. He would have held out 
all this time if he knew this morning at LifePoint Church in Clarksburg, West Virginia, somebody online or somebody sitting in this room was going to say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. He would wait. And he's waiting. But there is a definitive timeline that's about... It's about to end, but he's waiting. He would wait just for you. He went to the cross for you. He's waiting for you. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Did y'all get something good out of this message? Now this morning, before we end this service, and me and Pastor Diane are going to lead all of you in communion in a moment to recognize and remember the work of Jesus. But after that message I just preached, how many of you have some clarity and you're excited? that there should be there should be no space for fear you're on the winning team you've got your your tickets booked you got your your flight booked it's time to get out your mobile ticket check in and get ready have you ever been through security at the airport the best thing to do is get that paper ticket if you're old school or get online and get ready. Why? You want to get through the line. Get, get, get it ready. Keep your lamp burning. Keep your passion stirred. Keep your, your spirit man vibrant. Keep the life of Jesus stirred up in you. Get your boarding pass ready. Y'all get what I'm saying? Get ready. The, the bridegroom's about to show up, right? He, he's about to say, it's time. That, that's exciting for us. That's exciting for you if you're a believer. If you say, Pastor, and I'm not spiritually vibrant, I've never been born again, I mean, I kind of believe in God, but, but I would not be ready for a rapture, I would not be ready, and you, you, you can think, the Bible says, people will say, well, he hasn't come yet, this is just a fairy tale, this is just a story, it's more than a story, it's truth. Here's how I can prove to you that all of this is so true. There could only be truth in light because there's truth in darkness. The darkness we're seeing around us, the deception and the falsity around us only proves to us there is something greater, there is something stronger, there's a light, there's the love of God because we've seen the existence of evil and lets us know there's something greater. That when you can watch all this stuff on TV, hear all this stuff that's going on, to have something in you saying there's still hope, there's still something, that's the spirit of God. That's the spirit. Does that make sense? There's, that's the spirit of God. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. What in the world is going on? We just rolled it out over the last three weeks. That's what's going on in the world. God, we thank you that we're not left here without provision. We're not left here without hope. We're not left here without a destiny. We're not left here without a future. God, we thank you that we can answer the questions very clearly. What in the world is going on? God, we're on the verge of history. We're on the verge of the greatest move of God. We're on the, on the verge of revival. We're on the ver- verge of a great harvest, and we're on the very verge of the rapture. And God, I would like to declare that here and now that revival and harvest begins this moment. And with no one looking around, I want to ask you a question. It's between you and me. And you say, Pastor, and I just got to make sure I'm ready. I want to be ready for the rapture. I want to make sure that Jesus is the Lord and the King of my life. I'm not talking about just believing God. I'm just saying, I want to be ready. I want to make sure that Jesus is the Savior of my life. I want to make sure he's the Lord of my heart. If that's you this morning, would you just slip a hand up? Just slip a hand up. So, yes, thank you. I'll just keep it up just for a moment. It, it, listen, it doesn't matter if you've been in church for years. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, just one more moment. I'm going to say a prayer together. 
even if you just got to make sure that you got to make sure, just keep it up there for just a moment. Let's pray this prayer together. You ready? There's hands all across this room. Let's say this, Lord Jesus, I admit I have sinned, I have fallen, and I need you. And I do believe that you are God's son. You came and died for me. You resurrected for me. I believe you're God's son. And I confess right here, right now, that you are the Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my life. Help me now to live for you, to be vibrant spiritually for you. Thank you for giving me, for forgiving me of all of my sin. I will therefore live for you with all of my passion and all of my future. Amen. 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 Amen.